let's do it. Good. Well, welcome to Logically Faithful. I am Kelvin Swice. I have a very special guest today, Perry Marshall. Perry, thank you for joining me. It's great to be here. <laughs> Glad you're here. Uh, where we are going to engage in some very heavy ideas. So turn on the thinking cap and plug it in. We need some real power for this one. <laughs> okay, Perry, let's give him the proper introductions. Perry Marshall is endorsed by Forbes as well as Inc. Magazine and is one of the most expensive business consultants in the world. What are you doing here with me? Clients seek talking about <laughs> philosophy. Yeah, All good business uh, consultants are good philosophers. I, <laughs> it's you. not widely advertised, but it's true. Need the encouragement. He has founded the $5 million Evolution 2.0 Prize, which is based on his book, which we'll be discussing in a little bit, Evolution 2.0, which I strongly recommend for you. But right now, we're going to focus on the concept of biology, evolution, creation, intelligent design, and how that integrates together to bring us meaning in our own lives. So Perry, let's get started. Great to be here. Perry, tell us the heart behind Evolution 2.0. What, what drove you to dry, uh, get into this book? I mean, they're trying to summarize that to us. I know you're having some experience with your brother, yeah. which is fascinating. You can touch on that. Well, uh, I thought I'd seen it all. Mm -hmm. But you, you have not dealt with apologetics questions until you've got a guy who used to be a Christian who has a master's degree in theology and he can read Greek and he can read Hebrew and he knows where all the bones are buried. <laughs> that was like a whole new level. And this is Brian. This is Brian. And he had very serious questions and he's a he's like a bedrock kind of guy. He's not like there's all these silly questions like, well who made God? I think I think that's a silly question. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it's not unimportant, but it's it's really it's really shallow, right? Um, no, no, he was asking hard ones, and he, I go, Brian, look at the hand at the end of your arm. This is a nice, nice piece of engineering. You don't think this is in your hand is an accumulation of random accidents, do you? And he's like, hold on, <laughs> and he just swings right back with a fairly standard Darwinian. You don't need a designer. You just need millions of years of mutations and selection, and you're going to get a hand. And I know it looks like there's a designer, but mm -hmm. there's really not, and you don't need that. And I listened to that, and I thought, and I'm, I'm trying to think 10 chess moves ahead. And I could already see, okay, I don't know if I buy that, because I've, that story does not connect all the dots that I as an engineer would need to connect. However, I know that most biologists would more agree with him than me. Let's, so, let's back that up to that conversation in that bus, which I'm sure you've been having the last few years after your book came out with many people. Yes. Uh, that conversation goes something to the effect of due to genetic drift variations within the species, due to mutations and the environment, environmental stimuli, certain right. species survive and they adapt and they become stronger and powerful and then they end up passing those genes right. to the next, to the progenies, right? right. And those right. end up passing those genes and those who can't, don't, and they die. Right. Uh, this machine, Pretty simple. This machine that's passed around is a self-replicating, self-duplicating engineering machine, but it's has a blind watchmaker, as Darwin would say, uh, not Darwin, Dawkins. Dawkins, right? Would say, right? 
how does that answer, or how does how do evolutionists bring this out? Those who argue for uh, maybe a neo-Darwinian or Darwinianist perspective, in contrast to a theistic perspective, mm -hmm. to saying this answers the question of the hand. I mean, let alone the eye, the liver, the, the, the other variations of DNA. How does that even answer the question without including some kind of engineer behind the engine? Well, help me bridge that gap for your brother. How did how did he come to that conclusion? Well, well, that's well, that's what I wanted to know because. If, if you tell the story kind of the way you just said it, well, you know, you have genetic drift and you have variations and, you, you know, you're going to get longer finch beaks and, mm -hmm. you know, and, 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 the, and, and if a longer beak helps, then they're, they're going to survive. And so, okay, I get all that. But as an engineer, I said, well, okay, but the devil is in the details, right? And, and here's the question I immediately went to, which I think was the right question. Well, does this work in engineering? Hmm. Okay. So if I have a computer program, can I randomly mutate lines of code in the computer program, make millions of copies, subject it to natural selection, and get better program? I need to know because... Because the Darwinian version of the world said, hmm. you got matter, you got energy, it's all purposeless, mm -hmm. there's no design, there's no direction to it. The only purposeful force is natural selection. And I said, well, if I find out that's true, that is probably going to completely overturn my belief system. Because when I look at my hand, I immediately, like in a nanosecond, I think there's design in that. It's like I know, I know there's a designer. I know God exists. I know, like now, I, I might have all kinds of theological questions about God. It doesn't answer right. any of those, but I see directionality and intention in the world. And Brian's going, nope, there's not. And I said, okay, so there's got to be a whole bunch of stuff about engineering that I don't know about because the same principles, you know, the same laws of physics and the same laws of everything are true in engineering, biology, physics, chemistry. It's all the same set of rules. So like, I don't like, I don't know how to design robots where their hands get better and better. Right. So what are we missing here? And I said, and I think this was very critical. I said, if I if I find out that Brian's right, mm -hmm. I am willing to radically change my beliefs. If this makes me an atheist, so be it. I'll get in arguments my, with my wife. I'll mm -hmm. probably stay home when she goes to church. But I can't ignore the truth, like whatever the truth is. When I was reading parts of Darwin's biography... One of the reasons he did not publish his theory right away, for many years he had a sitting on his desk, is because of his relationship with his wife. She was a born-again Christian. He didn't want to disturb that. Well, um, I knew, I already knew very well, that Nietzsche had announced the death of God in the 1800s. I knew that his God is dead speech was more of an oh crap moment than it was a triumphant announcement. Because he realized that if that was true, then he was pulling the rug out from under Western civilization mm -hmm. and that everything was going to have to be re-engineered, okay? 
And I knew that the God is dead hypothesis had been absolutely disastrous in Russia, in China. But I was like, wow, what if God is still dead anyway? Like, can I deal with this? Can I conf And I said, I'm going to deal with whatever I find. So come what may, you want come to what may. The truth. It was it it was terrifying. I was scared to death, but I I just knew like I can't be dishonest with myself. So like I have to face the music. Yeah. yeah. Much uh, later. But th you went through a lot of work. Yes. Financially, existentially, emotionally, and I measure maritally. <laughs> yes. <laughs> to get through yes. this, and you came up with this conclusion that neither the if I may, I don't want to put words in your mouth here. Neither the uh, creationist or the young earth model is right. Right. And, or the traditional fundamentalist perspective on Christianity, which is grew more and more at the end of the tail end of the 19th century than anywhere else. And the Darwinian naturalistic Dawkins camp of evolution, both of these are wrong. Right. They, they had both... They had both pounded this thing into a lifeless boiled turnip. So then... <laughs> A boil so, I mean, really, it was just appalling what both sides had done to this thing. It was, I was just, the deeper I went and the more beautiful it got. It was like, man, look, you know, like, it's epitomized by the Ken Ham Bill Nye debate. Okay. Like, I mean, what a, what a complete waste of time. That is, you can't get more extreme on those two points of view. <laughs> uh, but you're not in the, there's a middle ground um, within the... The, the evolution creation debate called the ID movement or intelligent design movement. You would have called yourself one of those theories. You would have gone into that camp. Would I you? would have. I would have fit neatly in that camp ten years ago. Mm. Um, I I don't fit in that camp anymore. In it, um, although I'm sympathetic to certain things that that they espouse. I okay. mean, so the book is 2.0 evolution 2.0. What is your hypothesis or thesis statement, if I may, of the book? Darwinists underestimate nature, and creationists underestimate God. Mm. They have both failed to take their own theory seriously enough. And then what is your theory? My theory is that nature is way smarter, way more amazing way more directional and purposeless, purposeful than either side ever wanted to tell you. And, and I'll, give you, I'll give you an example. Okay. Simple example. Rapid evolution. Okay? If you know what to do, we can have a new species by tomorrow morning. Or at least in an embryo. And we could, and we could have a new species, you know, gestated in, you know, three months or six months or nine months, you know, whatever the animal is mm -hmm. or whatever the planet, we can have a new species that never existed before, uh, at least with some percent chance of success. We, we can hybridize two species together and we can get a new species and it will, it will work some small percentage of the time. Is this similar to what dog breeders do or people do with the plants where they mutate different Well, plants? with plant, this is done all the time with plants. GMO, okay. It, it's a lot harder to do with animals, but still, it still can be done. And you will get a new species 
Um, and there's more than one way to do this. Um, but neither the Darwinists nor the creationists are in any hurry to tell you about this. Give okay. us one example then in the, uh, of something that you can create a whole new species. Uh, okay. I understand so, about mutations or variations of the right. new species, but a okay. whole new species, a whole new... Right. Emmer wheats, which is basically um, a, a form of grass, mm -hmm. and plus goat grass, which is a weed, equals modern wheat. Double the chromosomes. It's a hybrid. Okay. Neither is backwards compatible with its ancestors. It's a new species. Somebody 10 or 11,000 years ago put these two things together and then they bred it gradually, like in the familiar sense, like dogs, mm -hmm. to be, have bigger kernels and everything. And that's how you got wheat. And you got it in one generation by putting two species that are different but they have the same number of chromosomes. And uh, if they had 28 chromosomes and 28 chromosomes, now the hybrid has 56. Okay. Okay. And then its system, its physiology will over time and generations edit, cut, splice, modify the DNA of the new creature to get it right. And this is because the organism is trying to make it work. So it's a self-replicating, self-duplicating system uh, within itself, a self-system within itself. Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it, is, it is editing its own DNA in a similar fashion that it develops its immune system or that, you know, the muscles get bigger when there's more exercise okay. and all of those things. What about the animal kingdom? Well, so... Donkey plus horse equals mule. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, mules are male. Most of the time, they're sterile. That's my understanding. They're sterile. Right. But they're not always sterile, and they're not always male. It is, in theory, possible to have a female mule and a male mule who are both not sterile, both fertile, and then you have a, a race of mules. Now... This happens much more often with plants. It's much harder with animals. It rarely works with animals, but it can happen. Okay, So this is called interspecies hybridization. And it gets you a new species in one generation. Okay, It's, it's, the, it's the most successful merger acquisition in all of history. And you don't need someone to sit there and engineer each area. No, the do organisms do the engineering. It is the most amazing thing. So when Quan Zhang put these two together, they fought like cats and dogs for 18 months. And most of them got killed. But 18 months in, he found that some of them, the, the amoeba had swallowed the bacteria. The bacteria were living inside the bacteria had discarded DNA and functions that, that, that were redundant. The, the amoeba had discarded functions and DNA that were redundant. And when he split them apart, they both died. And that's the definition of a symbiosis, is both sides are necessary. It'd be like, oh, I take a big chainsaw and I cut the Starbucks out of the Marriott. So, uh, readers, if you're following me here, we're talking about 
the distinction between the evolutionary hypothesis, the Darwinian model, which says no engineer is necessary, this is a completely blind process itself, and the other model that says God is intricately connected and aware of or moving or processing each part of creation. And Perry, you're saying here that neither of these hypotheses are true. They're somewhere in the middle. Well, they're um, not necessary. Like, well, so the, 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 the randomless, purposeless part is clearly not the case. And we can, okay. we, can, we can go there. And then, like, oh, well, do I need God to constantly be messing with this? Well, maybe, maybe we should just get into that at some point in this conversation. Okay. Because that's, like, that's a more complicated question. It is, yeah. Because uh, if God is the creator and sustainer of all the universe, I always held to the hypothesis that nothing occurs by chance. That's why when people tell me good luck, I say, well, I really don't believe in luck. Not in a theistic universe. Right. It's not possible, um, even logically speaking, for just luck to happen. Unless God sets up the situation in such a way where these variations just kind of pop up in and out uh, within my life, or circumstances pop up within my life, which I don't agree with. I don't think you believe that in the, in the genetic model, do you? Well, so let me let me borrow an idea from my entrepreneurial business consulting world pull to Starbucks on us. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to pull another Starbucks <laughs> okay. on you. Okay, so so Ray Kroc started mm. started McDonald's. Okay, um, everybody in business one of the creators anyway. Of course, and the yeah, we'll give the credit to the yeah. McDonald brothers and stuff. But but the so what. What all business people respect about Ray Kroc is he, A, he's not dunking the French fries, you know? The French fries are still getting served and he's been dead for a really long time, right? And B, like you could hire any 16-year-old kid from the ghetto and they'll be dunking the French fries in 15 minutes and they'll be doing it perfectly, right? And, and, and the fries are in the bag and they're tasty and they're the right temperature and they're the right crispiness. Mm -hmm. Like they have the thing down to a system, okay? So like that's what a good franchise or a chain, like that's exactly how it is. Like they mechanize everything and then you just hire the 16-year-olds, right? And the thing runs itself, okay? That is a way from an entrepreneurial point of view, from a Wall Street point of view, that is a way better business than the boutique restaurant owner who's also a chef and he works 14 hours a day and he's washing dishes and he's you know he's messing with the salmon and he's messing mm -hmm. with the salad mm -hmm. right like which is the better business right the mcdonald's that runs like a well-oiled machine okay you have a lot more respect for ray Kroc as a business leader if he's not dunking the french fries okay when i say creationists underestimate god Creationists have God dunking the French fries. Hmm. Okay? When nature is perfectly capable of doing this herself because it's been set in motion in the right way. Now, let's just take it even a step further. What happens if Ray Kroc also hires a CEO, a president, and a board of directors that will adjust McDonald's as the markets change? And not only will McDonald's run as a machine on its own, but McDonald's will also evolve with changing times on its own. Hmm. Because he has the right values, he has the right constitution, the right corporate you know, policies and everything. Okay, where as women come into the workforce or as 
you know, as new technologies come along or as television develops or as the internet develops, yeah, you know, we're going to have prizes in the, in the, in the happy meals that you can redeem on the internet on your, mm -hmm. on your iPhone or something, right? The, the whole thing evolves. It's like as a, as a entrepreneur, as a CEO, uh, or, you know, an investor wants to invest in a company that can't evolve because it's innately capable of doing it. Okay. So you have the classic and brilliant, uh, silent investor. Yeah, it relies on his residual income to grow itself. Right, yeah. and and the whole economy relies on that. You okay. want people to put their pension money in businesses that will adapt. Okay, let me let me focus a little bit. I understand the science part of it again because I want to get in some um, uh, scripture on this as well. Yeah, which, which, yeah. which deals with some of the problems on exegesis and Genesis, historical, metaphorical, etc. The current scientific establishment that we are in now, um, the Royal Society which I believe you attended. Yes. Yeah, uh, yeah there that's is, a whole conversation. There is a, there's a general consensus that the general theory of Darwinian evolution is the main game in town. This is how it works, right? Uh, but now, if this is the process, then everything else within that could be debated in the process of how the mutations actually work. Universal common ancestor. Almost mm -hmm. agreed upon across the board, right? Whether you're, whether you're right. a geneticist or you're somebody who's dealing with anthropology, right? Right. Um, is there any serious disagreement among scholars? I'm not talking about the fringe. Among scholars in general about the consensus on evolution. Serious disagreement. When I say serious disagreement, like, for example, global warming debate. Right. I mean, there's a few people, you have a few hundred who signed uh, a waiver saying, no, global warming is not as man-made as you think it is. Right. Um, although, percentage-wise, these scientists, although they may be reputable and very well-versed and well-established uh, with good Ivy League schools, they don't make up the majority of the scientists who do think it is a problem for our culture. Right. Is a similar issue with evolution? Well, so, so like, you do have people like Craig Venter, who's a brilliant genetic engineer, and he built like re-engineered bacteria and all this stuff. He he does he questions common ancestry. He thinks life may have emerged multiple times and he's got reasons for thinking that. Um, vast, vast majority of scientists believe in common descent. Now I, I was talking to a friend of mine who was fairly traditional creationist and and I, I had I had to stop and explain to him there's a reason why a scientist would inherently prefer common ancestry over um, multiple instances of creation events. For you who are listening here, common ancestry, we're talking about the Darwinian tree. Right. Uh, from the branches, right. uh, a minority of a group of cells come together and they grow and they end up with variations within that species and branching out, mm -hmm. if I may, into other subcategories and subspecies where you have the, the thousands of other species within that species, right? right? Within each one individual species. That root is called the UCA, Universal Common Ancestor of All Life. Right. There's variations within that. But yes. that is something do you find to be scientifically sound? I think. It's, it is, so there's, there's still lots of gaps in that theory that have to be filled. Of course. Let's, let's be very upfront about that. However, I prefer that view, like that would be my hypothesis, because 
It's elegance. And is the evidence pointing to that? Well, I think the, there's, there's a good deal of evidence to support it. Now, we could talk about the evidence for and against however you want to. Yeah, we, but but in, in order to properly, just backing up a step, in order to properly address the question in the first place, we have to acknowledge what is really going on just in those two examples I gave you, the hybridization that gave us wheat or the symbiogenesis that mm -hmm. gave us chloroplasts or mm -hmm. gave, okay, with the, the amoebas. There is a, an unbelievable level of self-engineering that the organism is doing, which if Microsoft had that kind of technology, their stock would go up 100x tomorrow. Hmm. Okay? If Microsoft knew what one bacterium knows, the whole technological landscape would change in a heartbeat. Okay, it, it's it, like you can't imagine what would happen to our world if we figured that out. You cannot imagine. I know Bill Gates did say that if he can, the engineering feat behind the DNA helix is beyond what he would imagine any computer system in the history of human race. It is spectacularly superior in multiple dimensions. But that would be a difference in quantity or is it in quality? Both. Because given enough time, let's say 10 centuries from now, is it possible for us to create, like for example, the Star Trek models of teleportation? Oh, maybe. Uh, we could do things that are just incredible. Maybe. We could take a machine that could duplicate, reduplicate itself into an android, so to speak, that could create its own progeny. Well, maybe, but here's the question. Is that going to happen by accident? Or is it going to happen intentionally? So that brings you back then, if I may push you on this. Yes. The ID model... Right. Intelligent design right. says that you are in their camp. Because at the end of the day, Perry okay. Marshall, well, so you believe some kind of intelligence is running the show. Absolutely I do. So, so here's By the way, I read a review by um, uh, Cohen from University of Chicago about your book, um, Evolution 2.0. Oh, Cohen, Jerry Cohen, my friend. <laughs> I just was shocked. He said, I didn't read the book. However, he goes on for about 20, 15 pages about how bad your arguments are. Is this elementary philosophy here? I mean, seriously. If, if uh, you pay $60,000 a year to send your kid to the University of Chicago, you may get a professor that reviews books he didn't even read. And he admits it in the beginning. And admits it. Like, okay, so go back to my... <laughs> I don't get it. Okay. Uh, maybe you have your reasons, sir, but... Uh, Go back. So you are, you are not in the ID camp. Well, you know, well, maybe you may be ideologically, okay. so but you don't let want me, to be in that camp. But let why? me so so let me make a <laughs> distinction. Yeah. Intelligent design, lowercase i, lowercase d, which is the broad hypothesis that the universe is divinely ordered. Okay. Okay. I like I'm being very philosophical, almost like the universe is divinely ordered okay and like i don't it's like in other words there was a ray crock in there somewhere <laughs> okay and it took an intentional act but capital i capital d intelligent design is discovery institute seattle washington mm -hmm. where what they mean by that is very fuzzy and in practical political reality is 
half of them are some flavor of creationists and they believe that God like divinely stepped in and mm -hmm. made zebras, made mankind, yes. made whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really, for the most part, old earth creationism, which also includes some young earth creationism. And I don't accept that version because, because. I think the single ancestor model is much more elegant and parsimonious than God showing up and showing up and showing up and introducing things. and So God stepped in and miraculously created the Cambrian explosion and God stepped in and miraculously made man, which is usually the sticking point. It's really about human identity. I have a different way of conceptualizing this and frankly, think about it. Which is more impressive? A God who can start the thing and it can unfold on its own, or a God who has to keep showing up and showing up and showing up, making course corrections, making improvements, making additions. I think the former is more elegant. It's, it requires a more impressive, more knowledgeable, greater foresight on the part of a creator. Mm -hmm. And it gives a scientist more to discover. Okay. I think... God made the universe optimized for maximum discoverability. Is this what Newton's phrase, uh, thinking God's thoughts after him? Yes. Looking at the book of creation, not that he made it, but my fascination as a scientist is how he did it. Yes. A uh, couple other questions about science. Okay, so the Discovery Institute's main, one of the main Discovery Institute speakers uh, is Michael Behe, mm -hmm. who's a biologist himself at the top of his field. However, has been rejected by his own department and many within the uh, scientific yep. sphere, yep. mainly because of his theistic perspectives, not necessarily his science. Although, like Cohen did, he would, they would dismiss the science because of the perspective, which is sad. But right. this is the reality we that's, live in. That's the state of, of the... Now, I'm not asking about Michael Behe's as a person, as a Catholic, as a man. I'm asking about his science. Yeah. Irreducible complexity. Michael Behe argues that certain things within science, within the... Um, Darwin's black box, which is in the, the what they call the black the cell, right? Within the very cell itself are irreducibly complex. And he uses the example of the mousetrap. Mm -hmm. Do you find this to be a valuable uh, perspective? So let me rephrase the question. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you accept irreducible complexity as articulated by Michael Behe in Darwin's black box? So irreducible complexity, anybody who's an engineer knows very, very well that many things are irreducibly complex, and he is right about that. Therefore, he argues, but, the Darwinian model cannot work. Okay, so that's, that's where you get to the fact that the Darwinian model is obsolete in evolution. Okay, so, so I merge X bacteria with amoeba, and they go together, and they do all this stuff, most of what those cells are doing is irreducibly complex. They are, they, they are epigenetically switching entire networks of genes on and off. Hmm. They are deleting 
this gene, this gene, and this gene. They're taking this other gene, moving it from here to here. It's like you sitting there editing a Microsoft Word document. You editing a Microsoft Word document is irreducibly complex. You editing a video is irreducibly complex. You you move you 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 have your video editor, and you go, well, I'm going to take that part. I'm going to move it here to here. I'm going to chop out this part. All of those, all of those oh, operations. If I may defend him. <laughs> As a well, philosopher, I may fail here because yeah. I'm not a biologist or the son of one. But well, so I need far, my eyes, I need my computer, I need the video editing software to do this. These things are assumed mm -hmm. before I even begin. Mm -hmm. So the cell, it needs the bacterial flagellum. It needs uh, the basic structure of its uh, core in order for it to even start. Well, it needs the engine. Okay, uh, and I agree. These things but separately don't work. They need to be all together. Okay. But, okay, and so my, my prize is a search for something that might be irreducibly complex. So we can get to that in a second. But there's a really important distinction that I, that I want to make. Like, the, I'm glad you brought up Behi, okay, because he's right. There's all kinds of things in biology that are irreducibly complex. And he came out with a new book recently talking, arguing right. about more of that. Yeah. But Michael does not give adequate coverage to the irreducibly complex operations that cells make. Okay. okay? So cells are capable of doing very complex operations on their own genomes, on their own physiology, and it's not neo-Darwinian changes. Mm. Okay, this is where the, the Darwinian model completely fails. And really, neo-Darwinism is dead. Define neo-Darwinism. Neo-Darwinism is the proposition that nothing but Random variation, mutation, replication, and selection are all you need for evolution. It also comes with the assumption that, um, that information only flows one way, from the gene to the phenotype, from the gene to the physical organism. So most of those assumptions are wrong, okay? The variation is not random. The variation is engineered by the cell in response to what's going on in the environment based on hundreds of inputs and hundreds of sensory kinds of data. Temperature, pressure, salinity, food availability, sexual mm -hmm. mates, all kinds of things. So Behe's irreducible complex thesis is viable still? It's half, half right. right. But he's leaving out a hugely important part which is okay. the natural genetic engineering of organisms within themselves. Okay. okay. And and so and so the people who attack irreducible complexity from the skeptic side, from the darwinist side, they'll say, "Oh, but you know, we got this gene is in the flagellum. It's also here and it's also here and it's also here." That's true. But what they're not what they're not acknowledging is that the gene had to be moved around intact. It didn't just accidentally get chopped up. Okay, that's absurd. It's okay. totally absurd. Okay, and so there, there's an, 
I don't know what else to call it. There is a... How about design? There's a consciousness and intelligence that it's deeper than design. Okay. Like, so when you say, when you say design, mm -hmm. what most people think is there's an engineer right. and he stuck his hands in and he did all this stuff. Well, what if design is something that organisms do as an expression of their nature and identity? What if design comes from the organism itself? Let's go back to your prior thesis that creationists underestimate God. Yes. Because he can create a machine that can design itself. Exactly. Wow. Perry Marshall, let's get to the Bible. Yeah. Okay. The scriptures, Genesis chapter 1, has been contentious to say the least in <laughs> modern, modern work. Uh, if I may. <laughs> um, okay. So you have this there are different models within how that is to be interpreted exegetically speaking okay yeah we have three major camps in the area we have the young earth creationists we have the theistic evolutionists we have the id theorists mm -hmm. and of course you could go all the way to the end with the progressive creationists and others right um but for now we're looking at the actual text itself yeah how do you read genesis chapter one maybe two if you want to throw it in there. yeah historical allegorical something mixed between how seriously do you take the bible okay so so i read genesis one two and three with just a handful of assumptions okay it's like some interpretive axioms which we all have okay one day is a period of time Two, the story is told from the vantage point of the surface of the earth, not outer space. And there's certain points where that becomes very important, which I could explain. Um, Adam was not the first human. Adam was the first prophet. Okay. I'm going to push you on that one, you know. Okay. All right. What are you talking about? All right. Uh, the so, text says he was the first man. That's what the very word Adam, isn't that what the very name means? Well, it doesn't say he was the first man. It means man. Adam means man. But Cain kills Abel, and he goes, if anybody finds me, they're going to kill me. Well, who's he talking about? If, if, if Adam and Eve and Cain are the only people on earth, who's going to kill him? Okay, mm -hmm. then... Then he gets married and goes and builds a city. Builds a city for who? There's other people around. Mm -hmm. Adam was the first person to whom God revealed himself, and he gave him an assignment, and he barfed all over it. Okay? Now, Romans 5. Right, we're going to go there. Romans 5. Okay, through... Through one man, death into the world, and death through sin. It's not talking about physical death. It's talking about separation from God. Now, if I may, let, let, me, let me read a little bit of Romans um, 5, because okay. there's a real subtle thing here that's yes, there's, super important. As you're thinking about this, I'm thinking about the, the debate between the young earth and old earth creationists on this issue. Yep. Uh, death is death speaking about natural biological death or is it no, the death of man absolutely not. right um, um so those are the questions that are important and you're arguing no it's the death of man's 
relationship with God. Right. So there was death then before the fall. Right. Okay. So, so Romans, Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned, to be sure sin was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. Now, when it says law, it's not talking Mosaic law. It's talking Adam law. Okay, so let me read it with my interpretation inserted. Okay, therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and separation from communion with God through sin, not, not stepping on cockroaches and killing them, not that kind of death, okay, through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before Adam's law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone account where there is no Adam's law. <laughs> Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. So he's saying some people knew how to behave and some people didn't. Okay, it wasn't held against them if they hadn't been told. Now, this changes your view of original sin because now original sin is not genetic, it's transmitted through knowledge the same way the gospel is. Is that reorienting our view of it? You're not actually doubting original sin, are you? The concept. You're I'm not. Di- I'm, di- I'm okay. completely reorienting it. Okay, original reorienting sin it. is not this gene that you're born with. <laughs> okay. Is this... Original original sin is is that when when you hear what you're supposed to do, you instinctively run the other way. Okay. And you're not guilty until you've heard what you're supposed to do. This goes into the concept of the age of accountability questions. Yeah, right. Let's go back to this other point you made. There are other people. Yeah. Where in the text or logically do you assume there are... From who the Cain, are these other people? From the Cain story. Who are they? What's your assumption? Are they some kind of... Um, they're they're uh, the Neanderthals? Same pe- they're the same people. Any anthropologist. Cro-Magnon man? Okay. Uh, okay. Oh, fourth assumption. Fourth axiom. I gave you three. Here's a fourth one. God breathed the breath of life into the man. He became a living being. Not oxygen. Okay. The breath is not oxygen. The breath is the image of God. The, 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 the image of God is the divine unction to, to, to live in the image of God. Are you willing to, to buy, then, your thesis, which I've heard postulated by some others in BioLogos, then you'll have to buy, and the catch here is, what you'll have to pay for, is that there are other beings during the time of Adam who did not have the image of God. Yeah, and that is a question that I not I can't, like, clearly so something parse. something you're working through yet, still. Yeah, like, I, okay. th- that's one question I don't have a clear answer Dawkins for. was mocking, um, I think, was, was one of the, uh, our, our Canterbury, um, uh, Bishop of Canterbury, yeah okay sure uh, regarding did Adam just wake up one day and look up and just say God says you are my image and the rest of you none of you are my image only you are well is that 
What about oh, all these well, others? Well, did he just wake up one day and just become the image well, of God? I could totally buy that as a, like, God revealed himself to Adam. Okay, and, and if, if God didn't reveal himself to somebody else, like, so what's new about that? Not, nothing new about There's that. There's nothing new about that. That's why you call that. them the prophet. I imagine that. Yeah, Adam but, was the first But there's prophet. something ontological. No, no, there's, there's an ontological status that humans carry, a quantitative difference between us and the animal kingdom right. and any type of AI intelligence in the future that sets us apart from all of them, and that is the very imago Dei of God. There's debate among theologians what exactly that is, right? Well, right. And, and that's, this is, you're working through this, I imagine. You haven't... Yeah, well, see, that's the question I can answer, and, and, and like, okay, you know, every, like, every theory has some weakness, like, well, right, none fine. of the theologians can tell you what that means. All we can tell you is, well, we've built our entire notion of Western human rights and equality and everything on it, and it does work. Okay, so, so fair enough, fair enough, you're working through that. Um, yeah. There is a historical Adam. Yeah, I think historical so. Historical Eve. Yeah. Okay. The questions around, but they're not, they're, they're not the first humans. No. They're just the first prophets. Do you buy the concept of, or do you embrace, if I may, inerrancy? Um, I don't think you can defend inerrancy. That's like a whole nother... It's a whole different topic. I, I, no, think, but, but I think inspiration, yes. Inerrant, no. So, 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 so look, if, 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 okay. if, if I say, well, the, the Bible was inerrant in its original writings. Do we have the original writings? No. I think we have something better than that, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's a whole different debate. How does your work now in, in evolutionary biology and the work you're currently working on impact your faith? How does it help you? Because one of the main uh, points, main motifs of my ministry, Logically Faithful, is to equip believers, and maybe some skeptics, mm -hmm. to deal with the tars and the storms of life using the evidence we have to get through that. Now, the evidence specifically I'm referring to in Christ. You as a believer, you're not a deist, you're not a sociological... Mm -hmm. Not a deist uh, at all. Christian of some sort. You actually take your faith seriously. Very. How does the evidence that you've been looking at, if I may draw this experientially mm -hmm. to you, mm -hmm. help you through the waters of darkness in your own life? Two things. So first of all, I'm very much a Holy Spirit guy. Okay. And I believe God speaks to people, and I've seen miracles, and God is active in the world. Okay, now that, so like that's one side of the equation. Here's the other side of the equation. The other side of the equation is conflict is baked into the universe from the word go. Mm. Okay, creationists talk about a perfect world. How on earth is a world where there, there is a snake or a, you know, whatever, you know, a serpent, shall we say, there is a serpent in this garden that is worse, far worse than any child molester that you could ever imagine. Mm. He's right there. From the word go. And God doesn't even really explain that. Okay? Conflict is baked in from the word go. Mm. And Christians have failed to take this seriously. What we're going to have an argument about, oh, there was no death before the fall. There was Satan. Woohoo! Hello? Like, Satan is way worse than death if you have any kind of normal Christian theology. Like, Christians have, they do not take, like, yes, the universe is a conflict ridden place, and it's the only, it's the only way to have free will, it's the only way to have love. 
Like, that whole free will argument about evil, it goes way deeper than the apologists say. So, we have plenty of evidence of a divinely ordered universe. But what we desire is immortality and resurrection. Where did we get that idea? Where did we get that idea? We didn't get it from anything resembling Darwin. It's like, I, I mean, so, so speak, speaking to the, the Christian skeptic who's struggling with, you know, because your wife has cancer or doubt or, or, doubt or the non-Christian skeptic, whatever. So where do we get this idea of immortality and resurrection? And why, why is that theme like found in almost every movie and every book and every novel? There's always a redemption somewhere. somewhere. strong longing for something more. Right? Something peace. Something it's like, well, if, if you're thirsty, maybe there's water somewhere. Mm. And that water comes from? The Holy Spirit. Wow. Harry Marshall, thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It's fun. Yes, it was. <laughs> Quite a ride. <laughs>